When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Wolverine Confidential Podcast. I am Andrew Kahn. I am Ryan Zook. And I'm Aaron McMahon. The Michigan men's basketball team is elite. The Wolverines are a win against UCLA away from the Final Four. We've got a first look at that matchup. The women's team's historic run ended in heartbreaking fashion while the hockey team season is over too for a different, equally disappointing reason. We've got you covered on all of it here on Wolverine Confidential. All right, listeners, I don't know if you could tell just by them saying their names at the beginning, but what, what, t- talk, to, talk to them a little bit, Ryan. Talk to these people. Say hello. <laughs> hello, Andrew. How are you today, my man? I'm good, Aaron. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Don't they sound just so beautiful, crisp, going right, right into those eardrums. We've got <laughs> microphones here at M Live. I only pointed out from my two co-hosts here because I did not bring mine on the road. Shame on me. Uh, I'm here in an Indianapolis hotel, my, my home away from home this month. So I don't have it yet, but hopefully you're noticing improvement in sound quality here on the Wolverine Confidential Podcast. Shout out to Jessica Shepard. Yeah, these things are going to like pick up my heavy breathing. It's that time of year, I guess. So yeah, let's start with uh, the Michigan men's basketball team. Absolutely dominate Florida State in a Sweet 16 game. You know, this was a this was a tight point spread. I think it went off at like two points. Got down you to know. one and a half. There you go. Okay, so you know, Michigan. Yeah. It went the wrong way. Like it was. I think it <laughs> opened at three and it came down. It should have been like six or seven, right? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. It's just like. I've been saying the same things with like all these matchups, obviously the one sixteen, but like, you know, the, the LSU game and then the Florida state game, I think people maybe got caught up in some of, you know, the NBA talent that's on these rosters, but it was very clear, just like looking at their statistical profiles at their, at their resumes, as far as, you know, who they beat, like which team was the one seed in these matchups. So, you know, both, both opponents were, were good, but they, they had some flaws too. And, you know, it also is just how well you play and, and Michigan played, you know, much closer to, to what they're, they're capable of than Florida State did. I mean, it, it's amazing. I'm not, I, I feel like I was referencing this on Twitter too. I'm not, not tuning my own horn here and hoping people will go out and read my Michigan Florida State preview now after the fact. My point is this, this ACC coach that I talked to, Jason Capel um, at Pitt, and I was texting with him after the game too, because he was just spot on with everything he said that Michigan would need to do to, to win this game. Um, and Michigan's, both teams were, were, are good defensively. And I thought they actually both kind of were good defensively last night, even Florida State. Michigan's offense helped its defense so much more than Florida State's offense helped its defense. 
Michigan didn't really turn the ball over too much. They didn't take bad shots and, you know, they didn't let Florida state then get out in transition. Florida state didn't do any of those things. They did. They did it all wrong offensively and it, and it hurt them at the other end. I thought a lot of turnovers and a lot of unforced turnovers. Like it wasn't <laughs> like Michigan was like doing anything. They were just, I can remember one or two passes where I, I didn't know where he was throwing the ball. Like they, they were just very sloppy with the basketball and, you know, I've watched a lot of Florida State, and they're not a very good shooting team. And again, you saw that again. So it's like, I don't know. They, like you said, Michigan was better offensively, and that's the reason they won. Yeah, um, yeah. There are two two straight possessions where they just threw the ball out of bounds, um, nowhere near a player. Um, you know, as as far as the shooting thing, you know, they've been they've been streaky. But like for the season, their three point percentage was was good, Florida State. But it just wasn't it 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 wasn't good, and they weren't particularly close on their attempts. You know, last night they missed their first nine, I think, before you know hitting a hitting a few late. But yeah, I, I do have a story up on MLive.com right now, sort of about the preparation that went into it and and sort of just, I, I just think Jawan Howard and, and the staff have just done an excellent job of, they put in all this work, but they don't overload their players. They get them prepared, but they keep them loose. You know, you just see teams this time of year playing tight sometimes, especially like down the stretch of games. And, and Michigan is not that at all. They don't get rattled, you know, if they get down or the other team makes a big play and they just have confidence. And yeah, that's not every coach, I guess does that for his players, but you know, Juwan Howard certainly, certainly does and should be, you know, commended for that. It's very interesting. You kind of look at, you know, heading into the night, there was definitely this thought of I kept thinking about 2018 and that Michigan team that went to the national championship as a three seed. You know, they had to play their their 14 and then they did have to play the six. But after that, it was uh you know, they were catching breaks as far as the seeds they were playing, you know, a seven Florida state was either an eight or a nine in the elite eight to get Loyola Chicago in 11 in the final four. And how I'm thinking, well, geez, this year, this year, they're going to have to earn it. Like, you know, they're going to have to go through the top, top seed, you know, along the way. And then UCLA stuns Alabama in overtime. And they sure enough, Michigan gets to play an 11 seed. Now I, I say that the way I do, because if you've made it to this point, you're, you're playing well. I mean, you're playing very well. So I'm not sure how, how, you know, you know, be careful what you wish for. I'll say this, Alabama, I just thought from the start was a bad matchup as far as their personnel. UCLA, I don't feel that way for Michigan. So, but we, we will get into that matchup uh, a, a little more uh, later uh, in this episode because I want to just transition to to the women's team unless there, there's some other point about the Florida State game you guys wanted to, to make. I wanted to ask you, uh, Andrew, I mean, Michigan had, had four players scoring double figures, but no one with over 14 points. But was there anybody um, that you thought uh, on, on the Michigan side really stood out to you with the, with a big game? I know, I know Brandon Johns continued to, to kind of shine in his starting role and, and scored a career high 14 for them. Yeah, I would point out, I mean, yes, he, he would be up there for sure. And he had some big plays early in, in that game. I mean, it's amazing to me how they've adapted so so quickly to his you know his presence out there this was a guy who he was part of the rotation but there were games he didn't he didn't play over these last couple years there were times where he only played a few minutes and there were times where he looked he just think the game was like moving too quickly for him and i and i I do wonder if playing more minutes helps him in that regard you know you know you're going to be out there and you know you can kind of just settle in He's not just trying to make something happen. Um, he's kind of just playing to his strengths. And he is very skilled. He's a, he's a good passer. He's a good shooter. You know, he hasn't shown it so much with his three-point shooting since coming into the starting lineup. But yes, I agree. He, he had a very good game. Uh, but Franz Wagner, someone I'll point out as well, especially just because of his defense. I mean, it was it was a team effort defensively. But, you know, Wagner in particular, he had some plays. Like when, they, when Florida State brought in Scotty Barnes, 
I mean, that's a matchup of, of a potential first round picks there. And, and, you know, Wagner blocked him and there was just one sequence where he scored on him and then he stopped him at the other end that I thought was really impressive, you know, continuing. He, he, he's over, he was over four and th- for three in this game, including, you know, one little quick trip where he missed two pretty wide open ones, but it, it never lets him, uh, never lets it affect his, his defense. So yeah, those, those would be the two guys, but if I'll say a third, I'll say Mike Smith just for bouncing back from that game against LSU. A lot of people pointing out Florida State would have the the size, the length to bother him again, and that was not the case. He was he was completely in control. So that's what makes this Michigan team good. Multiple guys that can beat you. You don't know who might go for twenty plus. You know, in a, in a given night, uh, just makes it harder to prepare for than the team that's got you know the twenty five point score. I think, but uh, I think Shawnee yeah. Brown had a good game. They got scoring from multiple multiple people, and I think for Michigan, that's a recipe for success. If they can do that, they can beat pretty much probably anyone in the country. So they're rolling at the right time. And I think we talked about this last week, but they're playing good basketball. The draw with UCLA should be should be a should be a good one. Yeah. So yeah, the the women's team their their season is over in the Sweet Sixteen. I think in my little uh my little lead into this this episode, I I did say heartbreaker. It is in a way just because it went to overtime. You know, it was going down to the final possession. But at the same time, if you can take a step back and look at what they did, I think there's there's way more. You're you're, you're encouraged way more than you are, I guess, disappointed if you're if you're a Michigan fan. But but Ryan, I guess I guess let's let's go and zoom in first on Michigan first Baylor in the sweet 16 that game. Yeah, most definitely. And like you said, yeah, the men's team was, was the favorite against Florida state, but, but the Wolf, the Wolverines women were, were heavy or big time underdogs against Baylor. I mean, they're the defending national champions. I mean, they're routinely in the, in the final four elite eight, sweet 16, ma- making deep tournament runs and Michigan. And it, it was a wild game. I mean, Baylor grabbed an early lead, but Michigan continued to, to stick around and even though the Wolverines fell behind by 12 in the second half, they, they continued to chip away and, and did so with their three-point shooting, which, which hasn't really been their, the strength of their team this year. Uh, they started three of 13 from deep, but made six of their last 11 attempts in, in the second half in overtime to get back into it. And uh, they never they never led in regulation, but Nas Hillman made a, a late basket um, to tie the game at, at 63 and uh, had a good defensive stop at the end of regulation. And, and they actually held a, a lead in overtime a couple of times, but weren't able to finish. Got a, a couple uncomfortable off-balance looks from three de- uh, in the last final seconds of, of overtime, but but couldn't get those to fall. But, uh, yeah, like you said, I mean, Michigan showed that it can now compete against the top programs in the country because, yeah, they, they made it to the second round five times before under under Kim Barnes or Rico, um, but got blown out in the second round against the number one or number two seed each time. And then now they got a chance to face another number two seed Baylor and, and play very impressively against a team that that is loaded. Let's, let's, let's not sure. I mean, from, from top to bottom, they have a, a lot of talent and, and we're a, a national title contender again this year and, and Michigan took them to the wire. Yeah. That, that, that final three, it was a Keen Ray Johnson, right. That kind of took the half court one or whatever. Yeah. The one that was a little bit, a little bit early. A little yeah. Bit well, was she, was she asked about it? It just, to me watching, watching live, it kind of looked like she was worried she was going to lose the ball and almost travel because she kind of did lose her dribble. And then she was like, Oh shoot, now I'm stuck. I have to shoot it. It was like, you know, thinking the clock was, was at zero, but I guess I'm yeah, not, she, I'm she not wasn't sure. available after the game. And I, th- I think uh, right. KBA was just asked about what the, the play was for the Leah Brown's final shot yeah. when they inbounded it with less than a second to go. 
Well, yeah, yeah, like I agree with with that what you said there, and it was definitely a little bit a little bit too early to, to shoot it, but again, you don't really know what uh, what what led to that. But yeah, that that Melissa Smith for Baylor, I mean, she didn't miss a shot. Um, that that just... was shocking. Yeah, like for for Baylor, I mean, she's eleven for for eleven from the floor for twenty four points. She's a, a war a Wade Trophy finalist, just like Nas Hillman is. And I mean, wh- why not try and get her more touches? <laughs> like so the other players on the team were, were struggling to shoot the ball from, from mid range and, and deep. And then you have Melissa Smith, one of the best players in, in the country. And she only takes 11 shots. You would think that they would try and kind of force the ball to her a little bit more, but good job by, by Michigan defensively because they made it uncomfortable for Baylor for most of the game from outside. Even for her, her shots, were they were like contested mid range shots. They weren't just layups and, and open threes. It was, it was, yeah, an impressive defensive, um, effort for sure so yeah they come up they come up just a little bit short but like you said i think now you know this can be a a a springboard um for the program potentially um you know i also saw saw your headline about uh you know then the team returning back to campus and you know had to had to do an emergency landing what do you know about that yeah, so I was I was Saturday Saturday night and was watching a, a little bit of a, a college hockey game and was strolling through Twitter and I saw one of the assistant coaches on on Michigan um, kind of tweet a photo of the the team after making an emergency landing in in Evansville, Indiana, with all the the oxygen masks kind of hanging down from from overhead. So yeah, I texted the team spokesperson person with the team and yeah I guess they they lost pressure and and had to quickly descend and were able to safely land in in Evansville but uh, it was a long night and morning for them they had to wait several hours in the Evansville airport before finally getting a, a plane back to on a plane back to Ann Arbor and didn't didn't arrive until 5 40 a.m back to Ann Arbor from their trip from San Antonio so it was a scary night a long night for for the women's team but glad they were all able to to get back safely it's definitely a, a scary situation there too i guess they were flying through a, a nasty storm and glad, glad they're all right what is it with michigan basketball programs and flights seriously man yeah that's that's crazy two times in the last several years and uh, even even earlier this year uh, on a flight, the the baseball team, the someone had uh, was having trouble breathing, and a uh, baseball team trainer had to step in and and kind of provide some assistance to to help save a life there. So it's like whenever a, a Michigan team is traveling, you just, I guess you just don't really know what's going to happen on a plane. You've got. Uh, do you have any more notes on the on the women's team you want to share? Yeah, no, I mean just yeah, pretty pretty remarkable season with a, with a lot of firsts. I mean, obviously, like we said, the first time advancing to the Sweet Sixteen, mm-hmm. they also had their first sixteen and zero start, got to a number eleven ranking in in the country for the first time. So yeah, a lot a lot of firsts for this program. But as as Nas Hillen said, it's time to start making some seconds. So she'll be back next year. Amy Dilt, who did not play in the NCAA tournament, their their starting point guard. Uh, she will be back. That was another big loss for them come this tournament time. So a lot of a lot of intriguing pieces back, and and we'll see if they can continue to to build on this moving forward. So I was going to ask you about Dill because I know she hadn't played in the tournament. So I, I think if they can get Nas Hillman some some scoring help, they could be really really good. Yeah, I mean, and Leah Brown. Yeah, I guess I should probably mention her too. Uh, the the transfer from Nebraska who got out to a roaring start for the Wolverines this year, then then got COVID and, and missed thirty five days and started to find her stroke again here in this tournament. Scored 20, 20 points plus in, in all three games. Had twenty three against against Baylor and. 
Um, she looks like she'll be her and Nas will be twice the duo here moving forward next year. And then with, with Amy Dilk too, that's a, a nice three to, to build around. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned Dilk. I mean, Michigan had, I'm looking 18 turnovers in, in that game against Baylor and, you know, a lot of them were unforced or at least, you know, passes into the post kind of initiating your offense type type plays that, you know, it was clear that they missed their starting point guard. Uh, you know, those who filled in did so very well, I thought in this tournament, you know, Roush in particular, I thought, mm-hmm. I thought was impressive, but still, you know, it, it, it hurts to not have your, you know, your lead guard there. Um, and I think, I think it did show in that game, but uh, yeah. Okay. So we talked about the disappointment of, of the women's team. You know, the the hockey team has a completely different kind of disappointment because they're, you know, their postseason or at least, you know, that the NCAA tournament ends before it even begins. You know, a COVID issue prevents them from even be being part of the of the 16 team field. What are what are the details there? What do we know about how this happened? Yes. I mean, Michigan was was getting ready to, to take the ice against Minnesota Duluth in, in their first round game on at 4 p.m. on Friday. And sure enough, at, at 11 a.m., Coach Pearson gets a call from one of the Michigan's athletics administrators and says, yeah, you guys aren't able to, to play. You're, the team's removed from, from the tournament because of positive COVID-19 tests. And, and I got on the phone with, with head coach Mel Pearson on, uh, on Saturday and to get a little few more details. And I guess they had a, a positive case on Tuesday before they left for, for Fargo, North Dakota. So that player stayed, stayed behind. And there was a, a couple of close contacts as his roommates that were able to travel, but they were, they were quarantined and, and separated from the team. They, the whole team quarantined on Wednesday and on Thursday, they held a, a few players out from practice just for, for protocols and another player showed symptoms or two players showed symptoms. They, they tested them both and, and one player did test positive. So it, that, the game still wasn't canceled. They were still communicating with the NCAA. Friday morning woke up and everyone tested negative. That, that was besides the, the two that had already tested positive, but it wasn't enough to kind of save their season. And, and the NCAA ruled that they were ineligible to play and, and had to uh, forfeit their game and, Minnesota Duluth was able to to move on. Real tough season or end end of the season for for Michigan because yeah, like I mean, like Coach Pearson told me, I mean, this he thought this team really had a chance. Top ten in scoring and defense this year, arguably some of the most uh, electric talent in in the country with with their with their freshmen and and a solid goaltender, but uh, weren't able to to showcase it in, in, on the big stage be because of COVID nineteen, which is unfortunate because they they hadn't had a positive test since July and during preseason camp and and to get one here late in the season is a is a real heartbreaker. Were they already in North Dakota when the game was called? Yeah, so they they got to North Dakota on Tuesday. So yeah, they were. He, Pearson kind of went to bed on Thursday, knowing like their season could be in jeopardy because of that second uh, second positive test. But he was kind of frustrated because the, the NCAA didn't give them a real a direct answer as to why they were eliminated. I mean, they didn't say all right because you have this many cases right. you can't play, or they. I uh, mean, um, the NCAA issued a statement saying that. They made the decision in coordination with uh, the local health department, but didn't say, I mean, because he looked at like Denver in their conference tournament played with only 16 healthy players. They had eight players in quarantine. So he's like, well, they were able to play their conference tournament. Why aren't, why aren't we able to play? We had, we had 26 healthy bodies that could have played. We all tested negative. Why can't we play with our, our healthy players? So he was kind of 
a little bit perplexed by that. But again, with also the the caveat that he understands that, yeah, with the, the health and safety is still important. So, yeah, it's all just kind of they're making it up as they go. I mean, that's the bottom line, because we saw with the NCAA men's basketball tournament as far as, you know, the, the one cancellation or forfeit we had with, you know, VCU. Like they had enough guys that hadn't tested positive to play. The NCAA went out of its way to say, you just need five guys. You don't even need a coach and you could play. But then it more became like, oh, we've got a couple positive tests. Oh, and then there's another one the day before. We could have a problem on our hands. Like, yeah. And, and I'm not saying that's wrong. That's how this thing works. It's often there's a lag time. I mean, so the rule should almost be if you're going to have one, you have one positive test, period within X, you know, three days of, of the game, that's it. I'm sorry, you're out right. because we don't know if then the next day you're going to have two more and the two days after that, you're going to have three more. And more importantly, from their perspective, you've now passed it on to the team we let you play against. So, yeah, I mean, I get, I get what they're, what they're doing, but the communication and, and, and not really having a, a standard rule, I guess, if you will, is going to be frustrating for teams and you're going to have scenarios like this. Yeah, so, they yeah. weren't the only team too. I mean, Notre Dame also wasn't able to, to play their first round game. So, so two teams kind of got a little bit of a buy in, in the second round and, and for Duluth that probably helped them because on the next night in the, in the regional final, they played the longest game in NCAA hockey history, five overtimes and were able to outlast top seed North Dakota three to two in, in overtime to advance to the frozen four two. So I'm sure that they had the, the healthier legs there once, once the game got into, hmm. into overtime um, and the deeper the game got because North Dakota did have to play the night before. So interesting how, how things can, can play out from one little situation. It really is. Um, you know, in the men's tournament, I mean, I don't think they're out of the woods yet and it'll be very interesting at this point. Now we're down to the elite eight, um, whether, you know, protocols, not protocols, but um, the policy gets changed as far as, Hey, we said, you know, you're going to be out, but eh, maybe now we'll just find a way to delay the games a little bit, but yeah. So the, like I said, we are, we are down to the final eight uh, teams in this tournament and, and Michigan is among them. They're the one seed they will play, as we mentioned, 11 seed UCLA, there are, you know, two games now, each of these nights, Monday and Tuesday night, Michigan playing Tuesday. Uh, the other matchup on Tuesday is Gonzaga and USC, two, two West Coast teams there in the Pacific time zone. Uh, and yet they get the 715 tip and it's Michigan tipping off at 957 PM. Granted, they're playing a West Coast team, UCLA, but uh, that's where we're at. So, you know, take a nap, Michigan fans uh, tomorrow afternoon, if you can, I certainly will for this, you know, 10 o'clock tip essentially, but that that's a different issue. But yeah, this UCLA team, you know, they're, they're trying to go from the first four to the final four, which has, has been done once before. You know, as, as, as many of you know, they needed overtime and a kind of big second half comeback to beat Michigan State. I think Tom Izzo might be uh, thinking this could have been us making this run. You know, certainly should have, could have beat UCLA in that first game, but UCLA survives. Uh, they then take down six seed BYU in the next game somewhat easily. And then absolutely crush 14 seed Abilene Christian, which had taken out uh, Zook's national champion, Texas Longhorns. <laughs> Why um, you got to do that to me? <laughs> 20 point win. And then, you know, go and play Alabama 
And, uh, you know, they're having foul trouble. Their best player fouls out, but they hang in there. They're up three in the final seconds. Alabama just nonchalantly hits a, you know, 30-footer to send this game to overtime. But then UCLA just dominates the extra five minutes and wins by 10. So here they are. I'll admit, I wasn't following the Pac-12 too carefully during the regular season. And it kind of kind of hurt me here come bracket time. <laughs> but, you know, from what I've seen now, they've got, uh, you know, certainly two very impressive offensive players. And, and Johnny Jazang, the... Uh, you know, former Kentucky player, transfer from Kentucky, you know, just a kind of a big guard. And then Jaime Jaquez, um, another, you know, kind of, I guess he'd be more of like an undersized forward because uh, they're both 6'6", I think, um, you know, but shooting shooting it well from from three and, you know, defending at a, at a better level than they were during the regular season. You know, they do have two two common opponents with Michigan this year. Of course, Michigan State, which, you know, Michigan split against. And then you say a loss to Ohio State, back in December, you know, by seven in, in Cleveland. But yeah. I don't know. What are your, what are your guys thoughts on, on what you've seen from the Bruins so far? It, for me, it's been tough to say because they, they so they were, they were ranked 22 in the, in the preseason AP poll. So there were, mm-hmm. ex, there were expectations for them. They lose, like you said, their opener against San Diego state, uh-huh. the fire off five straight. They have lost, lost to Ohio state. They lost to Stanford. They lost to Washington state, but the PAC 12 has been weird this year because they've been almost top heavy. Like they've got some, they had some good teams, decent teams. And then the bottom of the PAC 12 was just bad. So yeah. it was tough to get a read on UCLA. You know, I, I thought, I thought they're maybe a little disrespected with the, with the first four thing, but they probably deserve to get in. But I didn't, to be honest with you, I didn't expect them to get this far. Um, but they, they seem to have kind of turned it on at the right time. Because remember, going in, just going into the NCAA tournament, they have lost four straight games. They lost to Colorado, Oregon, USC, and Oregon State. Now, looking back on that, those are obviously the some of the better teams in the Pac-12. Right. Um, but, you know, they, were, they weren't playing well. So they come in, they're, they're playing well. They're, I think they got five or six guys who average double, score, double figures. Um, they're kind of a well-balanced team, kind of like Michigan. And they've just kind of found fire at the right time. And right. they're playing good basketball. I was really impressed with their game last night against Alabama. Again, Alabama didn't shoot shoot well, particularly well from the free throw line, 11 of 25. But, you know, they did enough to, to win the game. And that's all that matters and it's come tournament time. It is amazing that, yeah, I mean, you look at that 13-6 and six record in the Pac-12, and now all of a sudden maybe it just looks a little better for going by, you know, tournament uh, results here. You've got, you know, Oregon State uh, in the Elite Eight. USC is there in the Elite Eight, and, and Oregon could have been, but they had they had to play UCLA. And then, you know, one of the better seeds, Colorado, you know, they, they won a game before before losing to Florida State. Uh, so it's been, you know, Bill Walton is, is is doing a dance right now for, for the Conference of Champions, as opposed to the Big Ten, which has kind of been the opposite, you know, just well hyped throughout the year and, and kind of, you know, Michigan's the only one now carrying that flag, you know, left in, in the tournament. So it, it has been it has been interesting, but I don't know, at the same time, UCLA, again, I'll say it, they were an 11 seed for a reason in that playing game for a reason. And I think Michigan will definitely find find cracks in this in this defense. And I don't think there's a you know particularly bad you know matchup in this in this game for them. So yeah, I actually think in a way, uh, you know, on paper this one there's not as many. Oh, this is going to be an issue for Michigan as there were in the last two games. And you know, sure enough, Michigan is a seven, seven and a half, eight you know point favorite, some like something like that for for this game. But UCLA is playing very well, and uh, certainly I certainly think they they you know, play as well as they have Michigan. You know, UCLA can win this game. I'm just saying, from a matchup perspective, you know, Michigan, Michigan has a good chance here. Yeah, I, I'd agree. UCLA does obviously they don't have the length that Florida State has. Um, mm-hmm. They're playing, they're playing good basketball. Like, like I said earlier, I think this should have been the line that that 
you know, the seven and a half point line should have been what it was with Florida State. So I think I wouldn't be surprised if we see a similar result where Michigan beats them by double digits and runs away that handily. Um, but again, it's the, the Pac-12 surprised some folks. I mean, they've got three three teams in the Elite Eight. They're playing good basketball. Oregon State's impressive. I don't know. It's it's tough to make uh, tough to gauge this matchup just because you know Michigan is playing well, UCLA is playing well. I don't know, tournament time, you, you never know. So it's, again, it's going to be interesting. And I, I'm impressed more or less with UCLA's wrong. We were kind of talking about it coming into the podcast, but they go from almost, they were down double digits at halftime in Michigan State in the playing game. They come back and win that game and and they've, they've had a run ever since. So it's it's going to be a fascinating matchup. And it's two kind of, you know, historic basketball, and I'd say historic, but two big name basketball programs that, you know, UCLA's case, they really have been good in a long time, but Michigan's on the rise. So it's, I don't know, it should be a good game, I think. I find it crazy that that the point spread in all four games is is, <laughs> is more than seven points. I mean, this is the the elite eight here, folks, and and we have teams favored by by this much. I mean, it it really is a a mad march, if you want to say that, because my goodness, but we'll see what happens. I mean, three Pac-12 teams, all all underdogs by seven or more points. We'll we'll see if they can stay alive here in, in the elite eight. Yes, I mean we could have those wild early rounds, and then it would settle in for for more of the the better teams throughout the year, the elite matchups that you know kind of people wanted to see here. You know now potentially you know in the elite, in the final four, but yeah, we I just try to give you the information here, not true predictions, because you know there are late eight teams left in this tournament. I correctly identified three of them so i'm gonna have at most two in the final four so uh and i I would guess you guys weren't much better i mean i I don't i don't recall you guys having any of these other surprise teams in it but maybe i'm wrong you've got there's i think three pack 12 teams left over under one and a half getting the final four how many guys how many many that's an easy under for me under okay yeah i'd probably agree i tend to agree I, i think I don't think USC stands a chance. I, I think of the three, I would say I got it because I got it at zero. Okay, but. I think I, see, I think Oregon State's got a shot tonight. I, I don't know if they win, but I think they keep it close. I think I think it, by general, the Pac-12 has been undervalued this whole tournament. I think that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons these lines have been so big. And I, I don't, know, I wouldn't be surprised if Oregon State keeps it close tonight with Houston. I would not be surprised if UCLA keeps it close with Michigan. I don't think USC stands a chance, but I could be completely wrong too. Yeah, all these teams are playing are playing really well. Yeah, it is it is impressive because they've either I mean in some cases USC's you know but kind of blowing teams out you know or they've just been taking down some some good teams. I mean you know UCLA got the Abilene Christian matchup, but you know still had to beat you know Alabama obviously to to get to where they're at now. So here we are. We're down we're down to eight teams standing. It starts starts tonight Monday, but then Michigan will play as I said Tuesday at. 9:57 p.m. They're back at Lucas Oil, which is where the Big Ten tournament was, and Michigan's second round game against LSU was, and where they sit media much closer to the court. So I'm I'm pumped about that, even though I don't love being in just a giant giant NFL stadium, but so be it. All right, so stay tuned for more coverage on MLive.com/slash Wolverines. Thanks for listening. <laughs>